Achieving Clarity podcast. My name is Ben Morley, an Air Force pilot turned consultant. Each episode, you will hear actionable tips and strategies that you can implement in your daily life, personal and professional, to achieve more clarity, purpose, and effectiveness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump in to your daily dose of practical clarity training. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Clarity podcast with me, Ben Morley. Good to have you here today. Today's topic is make it easy to make learning hard. In the traditional sense of teaching, there are essentially two main types of questions that teachers use with their classes. The writer David Epstein says the most common method teachers use is something called using procedures questions. Basically, practice at something that was just learned. For instance, if a teacher is instructing grade school students on a new math equation in class, the students would be asked to apply this new formula to problems on a worksheet. The other common variety is the making connections questions, which aims to connect students to a broader concept rather than just a procedure. This is along the lines of the teacher asking the students why the formula works or make them try to figure out if this math equation works for all occasions. Both types of questions are useful, but it is what the teachers do after a making connections problem that is important. Rather than letting students struggle with some confusion, teachers often respond to student questions with hint giving that morphs a making connections problem into a using procedures one. Lindsay Richland, a University of Chicago professor who studies learning, says when students tend to ask a lot of questions, they are engaging in a game of multiple choice with the teacher, essentially seeking rules for the topic. They can be trying to turn a conceptual problem they do not understand into a procedural one they can just execute. Soliciting hints toward a solution is both clever and expedient. The problem is that when it comes to learning concepts that can be used in a broad sense, expedience can backfire. Like in golf, procedural practice is important in subjects like math. The problem can occur when this practice encompasses the entire math training system. Richland says when this happens, the students do not view mathematics as a system, but rather just a set of procedures. Learn the new information, plug it into the attached worksheet, turn it in, and then move on. Students trained in the simple procedural practice of math may have a more difficult time answering how these mathematical expressions are connected to the outside world. This trend can continue into the college years. Richland and her team highlighted the astonishing degree of reliance community college students, 41% of them in the U.S., place on memorizing algorithms. Asked whether the fraction A over 5 or A over 8 was greater, only 53% of college students answered correctly, barely better than simply guessing. When the students were asked to explain their answers, they typically pointed to some algorithm they had memorized. Some students said that a larger denominator meant that A over 8 was bigger than A over 5. Other students said they remembered they should try to get a common denominator, but they could not remember why. 
Still others attempted to cross-multiply because that's what they had learned to do when you are dealing with fractions. Only 15% of these college students approached the problem with broad, conceptual reasoning that if you divide something into five parts, each piece will be larger than if you divide the same thing into eight parts. Of this group of students, every single one of them got the correct answer. This learning problem can also occur when younger students bring home schoolwork that enlists help from their parents. When the schoolwork objective is to make the students create conceptual connections, parents can unwittingly short-circuit that goal by simply showing their children there is a faster, easier way to get an answer. Parents do not necessarily like having confused kids in their house and sometimes want understanding to come quickly and easily. However, if learning is to be both durable, meaning it sticks, and flexible, meaning it can be applied broadly, Making it fast and easy is exactly the problem to be avoided. The goal should be to pursue the concept of desirable difficulties. Obstacles that make learning more challenging, slower, and more frustrating in the short term, but better in the long term. Excessive hint giving does the opposite. It strengthens immediate performance, but can undermine progress in the long run. This is likely unintentional where the well-meaning instructor desires to improve the before-your-eyes progress. One desirable difficulty trait is called the generation effect. Creating an environment where it is challenging for the person to come up with an answer, even if it is a wrong one, enhances subsequent learning. Socrates was apparently onto something when he forced pupils to generate answers rather than dropping hints. The generation effect requires the learner to intentionally sacrifice current performance for future benefit. Like the making connections technique that is a preferred method, it can be difficult to accept that the best learning road is slow and that doing poorly now is essential for better performance later. It can be so deeply counterintuitive that it fools the learners themselves both about their own progress and their teachers' skills. This was demonstrated in a study at my alma mater, the U.S. Air Force Academy. The Air Force Academy academic program is heavy on science and engineering, including a minimum of three math courses for every student. Every year, an algorithm randomly assigns incoming cadets to Calculus One classrooms. After this course, cadets are randomized again to Calculus two, and then again to more advanced math, science, and engineering courses. The study showed that Calculus one professors whose instruction most strongly boosted students' performance on the exam received high ratings from the cadets on the student evaluation ratings. Conversely, Another group of professors who did not aid the cadets with as much hint-giving were judged more harshly on evaluations. But when the study looked at the longer-term measure of teacher value after these cadets had progressed to subsequent math and engineering courses that required Calculus One as a prerequisite, the results were significantly different. The Calculus One instructors that received high marks for their short-term assistance were somehow not great for the students in the long run. Conversely, 
The instructors who were initially graded more harshly for their Calculus 1 instruction became some of the most highly ranked instructors from these same students after they had progressed through more advanced courses. The students were evaluating their instructors based on how they performed on tests right now, which was a poor measure of how well the teachers set the students up for later development. The economists running this study suggested that professors who caused short-term struggle but long-term gains were facilitating deep learning by making connections. It also made their courses more difficult and frustrating, as shown by the Academy cadets' lower Calculus one examination scores and their harsher evaluations of their instructors. And vice versa. Students evaluated their instructors based on how they performed on tests right now, a poor measure of how well the teachers set them up for later development. So, the students gave the best marks to professors who provided them with the least long-term benefit. Psychologist Robert Bjork states that teachers and students must avoid interpreting current performance as learning. Good performance on a test during the learning process can indicate mastery, but learners and teachers need to be aware that such performance will often just show fast but fleeting progress. One type of learning is called blocked practice, where students practice the same thing repeatedly, each problem using the same procedure. It can produce excellent immediate performance, but for knowledge to be flexible, it should be learned under varying conditions, an approach called mixed practice or interleaving. In a study using college math problems, students who learned in blocks, meaning all of the particular type of problem practiced at the same time, performed a lot worse come test time than the students who studied the exact same problems, but all mixed up. But interleaving also can fool the learner into thinking they are not making sufficient progress. In an interleaving study, 80% of students were sure they had learned better with blocked rather than mixed practice. Yet, 80% of these students performed in a manner that proved to be the opposite. The feeling of learning, it turns out, is based on the before-your-eyes progress, while deep learning is not. When your intuition says to block, you should probably interleave. Another benefit of interleaved learning as a desirable difficulty is that it benefits frequently hold for both physical and mental skills. Performance increases have been achieved with piano students executing a particular left-hand jump across 15 keys to play a chord, and with basketball players executing free throws. Whether the task is mental or physical, interleaving improves the ability to match the right strategy to the problem. In my career as an Air Force pilot, we used interleaving learning during our training in the aircraft simulator. This multi-million dollar machine sits on giant hydraulic arms that articulate the flight deck capsule in all directions, creating a very realistic representation of the aircraft. Every three months, we participated in a two-day training course where we reviewed various procedures, especially emergency procedures, in a classroom environment, then we practiced them in the simulator, or the sim, as we called it. Each day, we were provided with a comprehensive mission scenario to fly in the sim. 
We knew we would be experiencing various emergencies along the way in this profile, but we had no idea when they would occur. This interleaving practice created the deep learning environment required to develop the skill sets necessary to fly this aircraft and accomplish our worldwide mission in both peacetime and combat. In one particular situation, I was handling a malfunction when the instructor suddenly failed all four of my engines at once while I was airborne and still quite a ways away from the airport. I accomplished the necessary checklist for this emergency called a four-engine flameout, and I was successfully gliding the aircraft to the airfield to save the day when I lowered the landing gear earlier than I should have. I thought I was close enough to the runway and that I had sufficient airspeed to put the gear down, but what this created was an excessive amount of drag on the aircraft, and I wound up landing short of the field. Remember, this was in the simulator, everyone, not in the actual jet. As I debriefed my performance with my instructor, this scenario taught me the unique actions I would have to take if I were ever to find myself in that situation. To this day, I remember exactly when to lower the gear in a four-engine flameout and make a successful landing. This interleaving practice generated the desirable difficulty to produce deep learning. Where have you experienced blocked learning practice that generated great short-term results? but did not elicit the long-term learning of the subject. If you have children, does their homework look more like blocked or mixed practice? Conversely, can you recall a time where you experienced difficulties initially when learning a topic or a skill, yet you can clearly remember content from that study after a period of time, maybe years, has passed? Before our eyes progress reinforces our instinct to do more of the same but the feedback teaches us the wrong lesson. Learning deeply means learning slowly. The cult of the head start fails the learners it seeks to serve. I hope you have found this episode helpful. Thanks again for listening, and as always, best to you all. Thank you for listening to the Achieving Clarity podcast. We hope you liked it. To hear more tools and strategies to help you in your personal and professional life, subscribe to our podcast. Thank you again. Thank you.